All right. Did you see that little guy earlier was standing here, like, looking over the edge like he was tempted to jump? That's how I feel every week when I just jump off the stage, do something exciting. All right. Let's pray, and we're going to dig into God's Word together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we've come here this morning because we desperately need a word from you. Um, Thank you already that we've heard a number of words from you. We've got to sing your songs, pray your prayers, be led by little children in worship. Lord, they understand the kingdom more than we do. Lord, help us in the next 20 minutes or so to dig into your word together and to understand more of what your kingdom offer for us is. And to fall more deeply in love with you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to look into the face of Jesus? Ever thought about this? Like if you're walking around on planet Earth back then, to actually look into his eyes, what that experience would have been like? I mean, people have wondered about this for a long time. They've wondered about who he is, what he was like, what it was like to be with him. Many people wonder what it was, what it would have been like to look in his face. Artists have actually taken up this challenge all over the world, and they've tried to paint or sculpt or give pictures of Jesus and how he might have been. It's very interesting because each cultural backdrop changes the artist's perspective. So you see a few of these on the screen. That on the left is Mary and his mother. That's obviously little baby Jesus and Mary, his mother. That's from um, Malaysia. It's New Guinea. New Guinea. (laughs) Let's just do it that way. The middle one is from Uruguay, Mary and Jesus, and then Korea. Interesting. Look at this next set of pictures. This is the Swedish Jesus. Of course, just like he would have been with his nice red hair and his white skin, right? Just like that. This is from France. You can see Judas there in the front. He's looking pretty downtrodden. These are artists from all over the world. Here's some more. Um, This is also the French crucifixion of Jesus. You can see they've got the French soldiers are in their French uniforms as they crucify Jesus. So people try to contextualize this Jesus into their culture, right? Here's a few more. Um, Again, uh, the Italian one on the far right is my favorite. It's a really great depiction of what Jesus would have been like on the cross, I think. Falling forward, trying to make it through those six hours. Super, a lot of suffering that go on. So it's fascinating to me that the gospel writers never described Jesus. They never talked about what his face looked like. They never gave a physical description, right? John says that he... He became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Not just our neighborhood in DuPage County, but all the neighborhoods of the world. And he came to people in a way that they could understand and grab onto. I love that. So if you could paint a picture of your Jesus this morning, what would that look like? If you could paint a picture, draw a picture, draw some artistic expression of what it was like for you to meet this Jesus, what would you draw? How would it look? What would the face look like? What would the eyes look like? Now, I love this passage today in John 12 because I think it's another powerful picture of Jesus painted for us by the, by the Apostle John, the Gospel of John, and also by Mary of Bethany. The passage reminds us that we're at Lazarus' house who had just been raised from the dead. Mary and Martha are there, his sisters, and there's a dinner being prepared for Jesus in his honor. And of course, Martha's serving, like we know from Luke 10. Martha's always serving. 
And Mary, meanwhile, is sitting at the feet of Jesus doing her thing, right? Sometime after dinner, or as the dinner concludes, this is what we read. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. I, wrote, I wanted to fill this room with fragrance this morning, but I don't know how I would have done that. And everyone would have been telling me, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't breathe in there today. I couldn't breathe. Um, now, it's easy to miss the full significance of Mary's gesture. In Mark, we learn that this anointing probably wasn't just his feet. was maybe poured over his head, ran down his beard, and onto his garments, making his whole body smell with this fragrance. I think Mary was trying to communicate something even beyond what Jesus tells us she's communicating in John 12. So here's what Jesus says about what she's communicating. She did this in preparation for my burial. Jesus knows that in a few days he will die and he will be in a tomb. And so he's being prepared for his burial. But if we keep digging into this deeper, uh, we realize that Mary's actually making a statement, painting a picture of Jesus. Jesus is called the Messiah, the Christ, which means anointed one. So Jesus is being anointed by Mary, right, as a king. Anointed as a king. Now, back in these days, the Hebrew kings didn't go through a coronation. They often were anointed with special oil, the oil that was used in the temple to anoint the holy and sacred things, or the priests. It was super valuable oil. It it had the value of, like, diamonds, and it was poured over kings to make them smell like kings. It was their crown, this amazing scent that they gave off, a kingly scent wherever they went. Everybody would know that when that unique fragrance came by, there was a king coming by. So think about this. For six days before his crucifixion, Jesus is going to smell like a king because of Mary's extravagant act with this expensive perfume. Now, there's examples of this all through the Bible. Here's a few of them. Look at what happens to David in the Old Testament book of Psalms. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. All your robes are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. How about King Solomon, Song of Songs? Who is coming up from the desert like a column of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and incense, made from all the spices of the merchant? Look at his Solomon's carriage, escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel. So during a royal processional, the king gave off this fragrance, and just by smelling the fragrance, you would know that a king is passing by, someone who's been anointed by God to be the king. So Mary's telling everybody in the room who she believes stands in the room. It's a king. It's the king. The king of heaven stands in the room, and he's anoint, she's anointing him, so he gives off this kingly aroma. Now, I love this because Mary is so overwhelmed by this thought that she does what no woman would ever do. She takes her hair out of its, you know, whatever, covering, and she lets it down in the presence in public. And she gets on her knees before Jesus. She pours out this expensive perfume totally super expensive, a whole year's wages. And she begins to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. Wow. It's over the top, totally inappropriate, totally undignified, out of control worship. 
You ever seen this kind of worship? You ever been a part of this? You know, I talk about camp a lot. I've missed it. The last two years I haven't been able to go to camp. But at camp, it's interesting to watch camp unfold as the week goes on. Because usually what happens is there's a bunch of kids sitting there awkwardly the first three nights. Songs are being played. And the kids are sitting there thinking, well, do we sing? Do we not sing? What do we do? Um, they're looking at each other. They don't want to be the one who's kind of standing out from everybody else. And so they're, they're kind of like, you know, kind of trying to follow the lead. Most people are just with their hands in their pocket. You know, you want to be cool. If you're a high school kid, you want to be cool, right? You don't want to be like standing out in the crowd too much with all this Jesus stuff. So they're just standing there. But then it's crazy because as the week goes by and the king enters the room, King Jesus enters the room, all of a sudden worship begins to break out. People lose their self-consciousness, their self-interest, their self-focus, and they become overwhelmed with the king, and they start to sing to the king, King Jesus, in an undignified, totally over-the-top way. They just go after it. So I have a question for you, Elmer's Church. Have you ever been so overwhelmed with Jesus that you let your hair down? Because you just couldn't help it. You just had to let your hair down. I mean, we're not unlike the kids in the camps. We're often here, too, thinking about our, I don't know, our appearance. How's it going to look? What's going on? we got a lot of things going on inside of us. I mean, it goes on inside of me as your pastor. I'm sitting in front going, do I raise my hands? Do I not raise my hands? What do I do? I don't know. What are people going to think? You know, we're all freaking out, right? But it's like if you're, if you're so dazed, flabbergasted, taken by the king then you don't care about your reputation. You just go after the king. Just go after the king. You do what Mary did. You let down your hair. Now, this is also in the Bible and other places, this kind of worship. Second Samuel, when David's bringing the Ark of the Covenant to his newly conquered capital of Jerusalem, we read these words. David, wearing his linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might, while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the Ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Yeah, David, he's going crazy, losing it. He's out of control, dancing through the streets in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, I know some of you think, oh, I see, Clyde, you're trying to get us all to dance. No, I'm not, really. I've seen some of you dance. It's not good. I've seen my dance. It's not good, right? It's bad dancing. Um, but whenever this kind of worship breaks out, there's always some objection. There's always somebody who's there to criticize it. In this case... It's Judas. Look what he says. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He, he doesn't say this because he's really concerned about the poor. We learn more in the next verse. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. David gets the same treatment. It's his wife who says, are you kidding me? You're going to be that undignified in front of all the slave girls? That's crazy action. You shouldn't act like that. And David says, I'm going to become even more undignified than that. So when you come to worship here, what's on your mind? Are you coming to meet the king? Are you thinking about all the ways that, I don't know, other people are worshiping? Are you thinking about the music and you like it or not? Or, I mean, I, I confess, I have all these same problems. I don't always like the music. I have to sit there and think, how am I going to get myself into this if I don't like this music? How am I going to worship the king if it's not my kind of thing? I was thinking about my worship life, my worship story. It's crazy. I mean, I grew up in a church 
in the 1960s and 70s where the organ was the primary instrument and you had to be very quiet and sit quietly. My mother used to pinch me on a regular basis because I had a hard time sitting quietly. <laughs> Super hard for me to do, right? That's what we did. And then I got to Wheaton College in the 70s, late 70s and 80s, and I met a bunch of people that didn't grow up like I did. And all of a sudden, in chapel, they worshipped in ways I didn't worship. They worshipped in ways that stretched me and pulled me and pulled me into new directions and made me realize, wow, there's people more in love with the king here than I am. Even though I grew up in church my whole life, these people really love the king. I'm still thinking about my, I don't know, appearance, whatever. I'm not sure. And then I kept going. I remember the first time I went to a camp as a youth pastor, and these Pentecostal charismatic kids were there. They were going bananas. I was like, what's with these people? They're crazy. And then when I was the chaplain at Timothy Christian, the, the Bible teacher, whatever you want to call me, there were some kids there in chapel that always struck me. Again, they were more in love with the king than I was. I was the Bible teacher. I was the chapel leader. But they seemed to know the king better than I did. That was unacceptable to me. Every time we worshipped, they were just lost in worship. You could just see it on their faces. They didn't care what anyone thought. They were just lost like Mary at the feet of Jesus. And I was in the front going, I don't know, how do I act? What do I do? I mean, if I do this, the teacher's going to think this. If I do that, these other students think this. And I'm going to have these people because they're you ever do this in yourself? Yeah, I've done this a lot. Then I went to Faith Church. It was the rock and roll worship service, man. We just rocked it out. Everyone was moving, drooving. Yeah, it was amazing. All right. Um, and then, uh, you know, but I, then I went to the Church of Resurrection. They had the robes and the incense and the lit liturgy. And every week, the service was like over 90 minutes long. Every week I would meet the Lord, the Jesus, the King. During the time of communion, we would sit quietly during communion for 20 plus minutes and just sit there listening to the worship music and soaking in the Lord. It was crazy. And then I went to this Taze service in Chicago in the Ascension Catholic Church in Oak Park, actually. And I sat quietly while these priests with a single voice a cappella sang this song over and over and over again. And again, I was drawn into this amazing like, place of like, wow, I can worship the king in a Catholic church with these quiet songs, totally different than I ever have in my life before. Whoa. So you think, why are you telling all of me this client? I mean, are you trying to get us to worship like you? I'm like, no. You shouldn't try to worship like me. You should I worship in a way that's authentic to you? For Mary, this is how she needed to worship Jesus. Take her hair down, get on her knees, wash his feet with her perfume. What is it for you? But I can tell you this. Um, we need the spirit of Mary. We need the ridiculous, flabbergasted, I don't know, out of control, outlandish worship to break loose. However that looks for you, it's fine. And beyond that, we need to fall in love with the Jesus that we say we worship. To really fall in love with him. He wants to be our treasure not our hobby, not sort of a little thing we dabble around with once a week. He wants to be our treasure, someone that we treasure like Mary treasured him, deeply in love with Jesus. You know, I've been thinking about my relationship with Jesus over the Lenten season. 
And I was thinking, man, sometimes in, in ministry, everyone thinks, oh, you must be close to Jesus because you're just doing all this ministry stuff. Actually, sometimes that can drag you away from Jesus. Depending on how you're feeling about how it's going or how church is going or how ministry's going, you can be like, eh, I don't know, this is... I realized that Jesus is calling me to fall in love with him again. I had to fall back in love with him, to get with him, to be with him, to get in his presence. How does that happen? Well, it begins by spending time with him. So during Holy Week, we're going to put in the guard room eight prayer stations. Kyle Groters, myself, Rebecca Wilson, we're working on this. Karen's going to help us. Eight prayer stations where you can go. You can come anytime during the week on your own. These prayer stations are designed to help you fall in love with the king. You can just go through that at your own pace. You can stay at one the whole time. You can move around the room. There'll be instructions at the prayer stations. There's something you do on your own. You can come here anytime during the day. We're going to have some nights. I think in your bulletin, the inside cover, it gives some times. You can show up and be here and be a part of those prayer stations. I'll close with this this morning. Years ago, I found this little pamphlet. It's called My Heart Christ Home by a guy named Robert Munger. He compares the human heart to the rooms of a house. And this week, I was rereading this pamphlet, and I found, again, the living room to be very compelling. So listen to this. See if it strikes a nerve. Well, as a young Christian, I was thrilled. I couldn't think of anything I'd rather do than have a few minutes with Christ in close companionship. He promised, I'll be here in the living room every morning by the fire. Meet me here. We'll start our day together. So morning after morning, I would come downstairs to the living room. He would take a book from the Bible from the case. We'd open it up and read it together. He would unfold to me the wonder of God's saving truths. My heart sang as he shared the love and grace he had toward me. These were wonderful times. However, little by little, under the pressure of my many responsibilities... This time began to be shortened. Why? I'm not really sure. I thought it was too busy to spend regular time with Christ, with Jesus. This was not intentional, you understand. It just happened that way. Finally, not only was the time shortened, but I began to miss days now and then. Urgent matters would crowd out the quiet times of conversation with Jesus. I remember one morning, rushing downstairs, eager to be on my way, I passed the living room and noticed the door was open. Looking in... I saw a fire in the fireplace, and Jesus was sitting there. Suddenly in dismay, I thought to myself, he's my guest. I invited him into my heart. He's come as my savior and friend, and now I'm neglecting him. I stopped and turned hesitantly in. With a downcast glance, I said, Master, forgive me. Have you been here all these mornings? Yes, he said. I told you I'd be here every morning to meet with you. Remember, I love you. I've redeemed you at a great cost. I value your friendship, even if you cannot keep the quiet time for your own sake. Do it for mine. Are we in love with Jesus like Mary was? Do we have an experience with Jesus where we're with him every morning, seeking his face, listening for his voice? falling in worship before him? If we're not, then all the stuff we're doing here probably doesn't mean a hill of beans. Because number one, we need to do it because we're in love with Jesus. Right? We're following him. 
All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, I confess before the whole church that I've missed those mornings in my running around and my busyness. I've passed by that living room where you've been waiting for me. I've failed to stop and spend time with you. Jesus, we want to value you beyond all the other things that we have to value. We want to follow Mary's example, Jesus. So Lord, help us to fall in love with you by the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray.